From understanding a global economic crisis to crunching the numbers at the grocery till, she makes it easy and helps keep more money in your wallet. This is For What It's Worth with Rabina Ahmed Haq. Welcome to a new episode of For What It's Worth. I'm your host, Rabina Ahmed Haq. On this show, we try to break down all the big personal finance stories and workplace stories of the week. Stories that impact your pocketbook, stories that really make you a better consumer, a better buyer, just someone who is more aware of how they can be smarter with their money. There's so many big stories out there that oftentimes go over our heads. The headline will say, inflation's up, inflation's down, but how does that really affect you and how should we prepare for the future if we've got that information. Now, speaking of inflation, we did get some data this week from Statistics Canada. It said that inflation rose in December to 3.5%. Now, a lot of headlines are saying that inflation is back up. There's concern the Bank of Canada could raise rates again. And that's a that's a valid concern because the Bank of Canada wants to see inflation move in the right direction. It wants to see it move towards 2%. And in December, it came in at 3.4%. That was an increase from November uh, when it was 3.1%. Now, those are a lot of numbers. So let me put something in perspective. If you strip out gasoline prices, which are the most volatile, it's always been that way since the beginning, since CPI began, when we started gathering this data to give Canadians an understanding of how much more they're paying for the same basket of goods year over year. And this is why month-to-month comparisons can sometimes be a little bit difficult to break down because things can change quite quickly in four weeks. And it's really about looking at year over year How much are we spending more? And have we come down from there? We definitely have. Last year, our inflation rate was much higher than it it is today. Uh, But gasoline prices are the reason we're seeing inflation up higher than November compared to December. And also, uh, we're paying more for travel. So airline tickets, train tickets, hotel stays, all of those things are costing us more. Bank of Canada will make a interest rate announcement this week coming up. Uh, and it is expected that they will leave rates unchanged at 5%. Now, as we've been covering on for what it's worth, and as I'm sure most Canadians are aware of, the Bank of Canada has raised rates aggressively to deal with inflation, and some of those effects are now starting to show. For example, last month, the labor uh, numbers showed that we only added 100 jobs in the month of December. That's barely nothing. I mean, you could basically say Canada added no jobs last year. And the reason being is businesses are starting to tighten up. They're not hiring as much, and they're really staying the course to see where the economy goes. And that is an indication that the economy is slowing down. Uh, Now, even though inflation numbers came in hotter than the previous month, they are still much lower than they were even last year when they peaked at 8.1%. And so that's another indication that the interest rate hikes that the Bank of Canada brought in aggressively We'll all remember back to when they raised rates one time, a whole percentage point, so 100 basis points. And it really did shock a lot of Canadians who have variable rate mortgages or money they've borrowed out of line of credit. It became all of a sudden more expensive. So all those aggressive hikes have worked. They're working right now. We're seeing the results of that. And so that could mean, and forecasters are saying this is possible, that by the end of 2024, maybe even mid-2024, we may actually see an interest rate cut. And that would be a well-welcomed uh, announcement 
for homeowners who have been suffering through higher interest rates. It definitely would be good news for the real estate sector, because if you cut interest rates, more people are likely to go out there and try to buy a home because they can afford more and they feel like they can uh, apply uh, they can apply for a mortgage, get more money and bid that much more aggressively. And so that encourages them to go out there and buy. Also good for sellers, of course, because they get more money for those same properties. That's the big story for this week. Next week, we'll definitely be covering uh, what the Bank of Canada says and not just the interest rate announcement, but the commentary they make after um, anything in there that indicates what their plans are for 2024. It's the first rate announcement for the year. So it's an interesting one to watch. We have a really great show coming up for you today. Um, we will have a Patrick Enns. He's the president of Capital One Canada on talking about uh, a new survey that shows a lot of Canadians are suffering from inflation isolation. What this really is, is that they're feeling like life is so expensive that they can't afford to go out. And many of them are saying that their love life is suffering because of inflation isolation. The average date, according to this survey that Capital One did, is $130. And so young people may think, I can't ask that person out. That's going to cost me $130. But at the same time, you want to find love. So we'll have Patrick Enns on talking about the results of this survey, maybe even asking him a few questions about, you know, what we can do to navigate ourselves through this time when we're trying to, uh, this is what they call cuffing season, right? Where everyone starts to get together because it's cold outside. No one wants to go anywhere. This may be actually a perfect opportunity to invite someone over to watch a movie and make a nice meal, which obviously will cost you less than going out to a big expensive restaurant. So we'll talk to Patrick Enns about the results of that survey and why Canadians are feeling like love is just not available to them because of their financial situation. As well, we're going to talk about soft savings. This is a trend that young Canadians are embracing. Really what it is, is that they are putting their present priorities first and putting off their future financial priorities. They're saying, I don't want to be like my parents that saved every penny for retirement and for the future. I want to enjoy my life now. Is there something in this that we should learn from? Uh, or is it too radical? We'll be talking to uh, an entrepreneur and also the owner of Young Investor Program, where they teach young people about personal finance, about what soft saving is, and if it's a good idea. I'm Rabina Ahmed Huck, and this is For What It's Worth. You're listening to For What It's Worth with Rabina Ahmed Hawk. Have you heard this term soft? savings. The idea is you can enjoy your money now and not worry about the future, including your retirement savings. It's a focus on investing in your mental health over your future financial self. Experts say it's a reaction to the current economic climate many young Canadians find themselves in right now, and the acceptance that this old school idea of retiring at 65 is just not for them. To talk about this and more, we are joined by Akash Bali. He is an entrepreneur and the co-founder of Young Investor Program. Hi, Akash. Hi, how are you? Great. So Young Investor Program, you guys are based out in Vancouver, am I correct? Yes, that's um, tell correct. Tell me a little bit about this program and, and, and what, it, what, what it's all about. 
Absolutely. Um, so this program, my brother and I co-founded while we we're at UBC, and we felt like the educational system didn't have um, as much content as we would have liked to talk about personal financial literacy. There were a couple of courses here and there. And, you know, because we were in the business program, we did learn about finance and stocks and investments. But people who are not in the finance realm, uh, there really wasn't much there teaching them about credit cards or how to manage student loans or, you know, if they're buying their first car, how does the interest work? And, and or when you're getting your first property and you're, and you're paying a mortgage, how does the principal interest payments work? So we decided to create a program for uh, kids grades 10 to 12. And essentially, it's a combination of work, interactive workshops where we bring in speakers and these students get to basically network with other students from you know across the province and also take part and learn about various topics relating to personal financial literacy. It's so true. Uh, when you get to university, even if you're doing, say, an MBA, it's very high level, the information that you're getting. And we really do need that nitty gritty everyday personal finance information. I know that very well. I've been covering personal finance now forever. Uh, like you said, how interest on a credit card works and what happens to your mortgage when interest rates go up. These are things that I think a lot of people just don't know um, how these things operate and are often surprised by it. So it's sort of trial by fire every time every Every time something changes. We're talking today about soft savings. This is a term that I've been hearing more and more that especially Gen Z is embracing, the youngest uh, sort of new working Canadians. Um, what, what is soft savings from your point of view? Yeah, from my understanding, it's essentially, you know, uh, Gen Z wanting to put aside less money for the future, you know, for investments, whether it's, you know, buying real estate or putting money for stocks or things like that, um, saving for a rainy day, um, or even just saving for retirement. Instead, you know, they're kind of more focused on enjoying the present and prioritizing quality of life. So, you know, if you want to buy, you know, that $5 latte, you're going to go ahead and buy it every day just to, you know, if that's something you really want to do uh, versus, you know, putting uh, money into a savings account and, and watching it grow over time. You know, um, growing up, my parents were very big savers and it was instilled in me, always put money away for a rainy day. Don't spend money that you don't have. I've carried that with me my whole life. And this soft savings sort of scares me. It feels like that may be not the best way to really uh, build your financial wellness. Um, what advice would you give someone if they came to you and said, hey, this is the way that I think I'm going to manage my money? What would be what, what would be something you'd say to them? Yeah, I think one of the biggest things I would say to them is to just make sure that they understand the risks or the pitfalls associated with this way of saving money. Um, you know, one of the biggest things that I uh, that we teach in our financial literacy program is the power of compound growth. So, you know, if you're um, doing the soft saving method, you don't really get to fully take advantage of the power of compound growth because compound growth requires a very long time horizon for your investments to grow. And if you're just investing for the short term, um, you don't really get to fully take advantage of that power. Um, and then the other thing I would say is just generally on a day-to-day -day basis, um, you know, there's certain events that could happen, like your car breaking down and, you know, you need to um, have a costly repair or, you know, if, if someone has health issues or you need emergency funds to help out a family member, these sort of things, if you're doing the soft saving method, you don't have that level of finances or that financial security in order to be able to um, help out or, uh, or address these sort of events, the unexpected events that do occur. So when these events do occur, you know, it, it leaves you kind of stressed out of, you know, how do you kind of put together the money to pay for your car to, to get it fixed or, you know, if there's health issues that you need to take time off work or if there's a family member that really needs your help, you just wouldn't be in that, in that position to be able to help them. 
And we often don't talk about the ebbs and flows of the market either. Uh, if you're if you're in the market for the long term, you're going to be able to take advantage of when there is a bull run. You know, you're not going to have to time it. You're already in the market, and so I, a lot of you know myself included as a young person did not really understand uh, the importance of always being invested, of always being in the market, uh, because you can't just one day say, okay, now I'm going to start saving money. I mean, it really is a long term uh, process. Process. It's it's the long game when it comes to investing. Absolutely, yeah. No, same same sort of uh, sentiment there. That whether it's stocks or whether it's real estate, you know, um, timing the market is always going to get you in a bit of trouble because you could buy too high, and then if you're investing for the short term, you could lose money. But if you're spending a lot of time in the market, like in stocks or in real estate, over the long term, we've seen you know these asset classes uh, give very favorable returns for investors over a longer time horizon. Now we're talking uh, today about uh, about soft savings. Uh, what would be some of the pitfalls that someone should be aware of if they are uh, embracing this method? What are some obvious things that uh, they are risking when they when they get involved with this? Yeah, I think overall for this, your your the biggest risk is your overall financial security. That you know, if you're kind of living on you know not saving too much money and and spending in in on activities and experiences in the present, then, you know, when unexpected events do occur, you're kind of leaving yourself to be super stressed and potentially being in a situation where you just don't have the money to address unexpected events that do occur. And this could be something super stressful down the road. And, you know, instead of being in that position, if you have the money, then at least it gives you that financial security that things will be taken care of, uh, especially down the road when you're in your, you know, older years, in your 40s, 50s and 60s, you definitely want to have a nice cushion there to alleviate any stress or these unexpected events that could occur. Yeah, never has it been more important to emphasize uh, that you should start saving in your 20s, even if you don't really have a plan of what you're going to do when you get older, whether you're going to retire or keep working or part-time work, whatever it is, uh, that time uh, on your side is something that you can never catch up to. Uh, even if you start at a very high salary, start saving more money at 40, you're just never gonna be able to catch up to, to, catch up to that. Um, it, you know, at the top, I mentioned that this is really a reaction to the current economic times, young people feeling like, especially in a place like Vancouver, I'm never going to be able to afford real estate. What is the point of trying to save for my first home? Uh, I'm always going to be renting. I might as well live in the now. Uh, why is this becoming so popular uh, among young people? Is that the only reason or is it sort of breaking the status quo of uh, getting married, having kids, buying a house and sort of being in that sort of what society has deemed as being the right path for, for people? Yeah, it's a great question. I think a lot of younger people, they're seeing their parents or even like for parents who are my age, uh, my parents' age, you know, they used to get part-time jobs or a side hustle. They used to do whatever it took to basically save money and, you know, buy real estate or get investments or just be financially secure. So they saw the level of stress that, you know, the, the parents' generation went through of, of doing all these things to try to retire early or to have a big safety net. And it's something that, you know, doesn't seem like a comfortable option for them. So uh, with, with soft saving, you know, it seems a little more comfortable. Um, young people don't have to really make very many financial sacrifices. They can still enjoy all the things they enjoy doing and keep a high quality of life and not really have to stress about money um, in the present. Um, but obviously, you know, the down the road um, in 20, 30, 40 years, um, that's when I think the levels of stress may increase, but maybe it's just something that, you know, they'd rather just kick the can down the road and deal with it at a later point in time in life. 
We're speaking to Akash Bali. He is an entrepreneur and the co-founder of Young Investor Program, a program available to kids uh, in high school to learn about their personal finances. Uh, Akash, we're talking a lot about uh, Gen Z embracing this. I'm Gen X, and I remember when I was in my 20s, it was the same kind of attitude I got from generations uh, before me that, you know, you guys don't take care of your money. You don't really know how this works and that works. And then millennials definitely got dumped on big time when it came to their habits and the way that they manage their money. Is this just the condition of being a young person, or is there something about Gen Z that maybe we don't understand? Yeah, I, I honestly, I think it's just a different way of thinking. Um, you know, the older generation, they were uh, taking a different approach because they essentially wanted to do whatever it took to save. So as I was mentioning earlier, you know, whether it's getting a side hustle or finding extra ways to make more money, um, that was a big thing for them to kind of find ways to retire early. Whereas uh, the Gen Z investors, um, they're taking a, what I would say is a 180 degree approach to this, which is, you know, living in, in the present and not really worrying about the investments. Um, generally speaking, um, you know, I think that it should be more of like a balanced approach to saving. Um, everybody should um, think about what their personal financial si situation is like. You know, obviously this is dependent by one's lifestyle and what people prioritize. Like some people may prioritize you know, um, having a lot of money for vacations or buying certain materialistic things or these sort of things. But, you know, taking too aggressive approach is uh, um, not that good because it could be really stressful and it could affect your mental well-being. And taking things way too lightly could impact you down the road, although you may not, you know, notice it right now, but maybe when you're in your 40s and 50s that, hey, like, hey, I, I should have done things differently. I think I was taking savings a little bit too lightly back then. Um, it could be something that you realize too a little bit too late. But, you know, if you take a more of a balanced approach, still enjoy life, but also, you know, maybe set aside a budget for what you want for current um, in, in investments, you know, even if it's as little as 100 bucks a month um, over a long time horizon, that could mean a lot, especially when you're playing with compound interest. So um, I'm kind of the belief of like not taking the Gen Z approach and not taking the approach that, you know, my parents took, but more of a, of a balanced approach to saving for the future. Akash, I, I really enjoyed this conversation. Thank you so much for making time for us today. No problem. Thank you for the opportunity. That was Akash Bali. He is an entrepreneur and the co-founder of Young Investor Program. Talking to us today about soft savings, this idea that young people, especially Gen Z, the youngest workers right now, are embracing, saying, we don't want to uh, save for when we're 65, 70, 75. We want to spend some of that money now. And there's definitely something to be said about a change in attitude. When we come back, we're going to talk about how finances are affecting our love life. A new report says they definitely have an impact on who we can and cannot ask out. This does sound a little bit harsh. We'll have more after the break. I'm Rabina Ahmed Huck, and this is For What It's Worth. You're listening to For What It's Worth with Rabina Ahmed Hawk. Money is a top stressor for Canadians, especially for those who are looking for love. A new survey finds four in 10 Canadians say their financial situation is actually limiting their dating options. And it gets worse the less you make because it's expensive to ask someone out on a date. Some say they're experiencing what they call inflation isolation. To talk about this, we are joined by Patrick Enns. He is the 
president of Capital One Canada. They are behind this survey. Hi, Patrick. Welcome to the program. Hi, Rubina. Thank you for having me. Yeah, thanks so much for being here. I love this inflation isolation. I think it really does encapsulate what a lot of people are feeling. Tell me what it is from your perspective. It's that it's that feeling that things are too expensive, uh, so you got to stay at home. You can't go out and uh, you know meet up with your friends or or go on a dates or you know whatever that might be. And that can be, you know, of course, isolating as as it suggests, but it also can exacerbate other things in your life. If you um, already are feeling like, you know, you want to find love and you can't seem to find somebody and that's getting you down. Uh, tell me a little bit about how uh, money is actually stopping Canadians um, from finding a loved one, especially now, you know, a few weeks before Valentine's Day, supposedly the most romantic day of the year. It, you know, it was a striking statistic, the survey we did at Capital One. Uh, we found that four in 10 Canadians felt like their financial situation was actually limiting uh, their dating options. Um, you know, so that's four in 10 Canadians who are looking for relationships that they feel like money is is getting in the way of of having the relationships they should have. Yeah, because it is expensive. I mean, from your survey, it shows that it costs $130 to go on a date. And that's money that's just out of reach for so many, especially young Canadians who are first starting out. Maybe they've got student debt. Um, talk to me a little bit about those costs. How did, how did you come up with $130? Is this a, a fancy five-star meal? Or this is movies and a, and a little snack after? I mean, what are we talking about when we talk 130 bucks? Yes, 130 was the average. So I, I'm sure that varies depending on, you know, who's who's going out. Um, but the biggest expense was just simply the food and drink uh, part of it, uh, followed by, you know, the entertainment, whatever that that could be the movies or, or something along those lines. And, you know, wanting to wanting to look your best. So maybe getting, um, you know, some new clothes or, you know, for for it. So it was really those three factors that were driving the, the $130. And this is something I've always said, especially to my younger cousins, or I don't have any younger friends, but anybody who is, you know, 20, 30 years younger, is that if you're going to date, date when you're young, because you can do it cheaply. The older you get, we get a little bit more, I mean, I don't know if the word is refined, but we get a little bit more picky as to where we want to go. I mean, when you're in your early 20s, a walk in the park is sort of okay. But maybe later on, you know, you want to be taken out to a restaurant, have some money spent on you. Um, it is it is a, easier to get away with cheaper dates in my opinion, when you are younger, because we're all kind of in the in the same situation. Is that is that what's happening when it comes to dating and it being so expensive? Are we setting higher standards or is it just because life is more expensive? Inflation is uh, creeping in and creating issues for everybody who's trying to find love. Right. You know, I think it, it it's it's really striking that when we surveyed Canadians, we found that almost 90% said having aligned financial values is important or very important in seeking out a partner. Um, but only one in three said they talk about personal finances in the first six months of a relationship. So I think it's just still one of those topics, Rubina, where it's actually really, really important, but people aren't yet comfortable surfacing the conversation. You know, and if you could bridge that gap, which is part of what we're trying to do here by having this conversation, um, you know, you might be able to reduce a lot of the stress levels and just actually align pretty quickly on on how much you want to spend on these things. 
I can imagine a young person thinking, okay, I only have 10 bucks to go on a date. And so they ask somebody out and they say, I only have $10, but I'd really like to take you out on Friday night, you know, or, or I don't have a lot of money, but I'd like to see, you know, if you'd like to spend some time with me, it may not be the most alluring conversation for the person right. that, that's yeah. listening to it. Yeah, of course. Um, what can someone do to, you know, afford, afford a date if, if they really do want to ask somebody out, they don't have the money. I mean, this really generally speaks to how, what can we do to, to find that extra cash? Right. Yeah. Rubina, you, you, you talked about it. I mean, it's, it's really twofold in my mind. The first is that, you know, budgeting again, comes front and center. These, these costs are, are material and they can be significant. And so they're things that we need to plan for. And, you know, when we plan for, our expenses, often we find uh, that we're able to save for them and lo and behold, we have the money that uh, that we're looking for. Um, but I think, Rubina, what you touched on is also important. You know, the second aspect of it is really having a, an evaluation of whether or not we need to spend all that we need to spend. Every survey we do, I'm just struck by how pervasive stress is about money and yet how challenging it is for people to openly talk about it. And you know, I just continue to feel like a big part of the solution is going to be in, in being more open and, and maybe finding a more eloquent way of saying, uh, let's not spend too much money on this. You know, might not have to say exactly $10, but, uh, you know, let's let's do that walk in the park. And you, you might be surprised that might uh, really resonate with someone on the other side who's also stressed about the financial implications. You know, I've been married now going on 14 years, 15 years, and now my husband and I have come to the the situation where we don't buy each other Christmas and and birthday gifts because it, it all comes out of the same pot and it doesn't really make sense for either of us to stress about it. We might buy something small, uh, but it's funny how when you're younger and you don't have the money, that's when there's a pressure to spend to impress the person. But once you're in a relationship, the other person's saying, don't bother, don't buy it. If I need it, I'll get it myself. So maybe there is you know, some of that inspiration where you can try to talk to somebody and and see if they'll, you know, obviously ask them out on a date that you can afford coffee or, you know, maybe a picnic or something. Don't do something that you can't afford. Uh, but, uh, you know, when you find the right person in the end, it usually gets cheaper as the time goes on, at least in, in my uh, in my situation. But money does play, as you mentioned, a big role in relationships. It's a huge indicator of how successful a relationship will be. If, you, if you're dishonest about your money, there's, uh, you know, that creates other insecurities. Talk to me a little bit about uh, what role money does play in relationships, not just new ones where you're first dating, but long-term when you're with somebody for many, many years. Yeah, you brought up a, a big one already. It, you know, So it, it takes a while for people to start talking about their financial situation with partners. And yet then people still feel worried about some of the big expenditures, whether that be buying a gift or you know, saving up for bigger things like houses, houses or cars. So um, knowing, like as our survey highlighted, that for 90% of people being aligned on financial values is incredibly important, you know, that only really increases over time as your lives become more intertwined. Um, so to your point, Rubina, I think it it's it's important on the first date. And and as you've been married for 15 years, my guess is it's still a dominant part of the conversation uh, in your household as it is in mine. 
yeah, we have to talk about it all the time, whether we're going to put our kids in this activity or that activity, what kind of vacation we want to go on. It's an ongoing conversation. And I always tell young couples that you have to start it as soon as you get serious. And it doesn't mean you bring it up on the first date, but as soon as you get engaged or move in together, have a baby together, before that happens, right before that happens, you have to talk about your finances, your financial goals. You know, do you want to live in the suburbs? Do you want to live in the city? These are things that all are going to change the way that you spend your money together. And it's important for the other person to know what your point of view is when it comes to, to money. Uh, Patrick, I'm going to put you a little bit on the spot. Um, when you first asked your wife out, uh, who paid and how did you all come? How did you come up with how that was all going to work out on that date? Well, you know what? It's a wonderful question, but it was multiple decades ago. <laughs> and truth be told, I remember the movie we watched and I remember looking at her across the table at a Tim Hortons. I was probably in love on the first date, but I certainly don't remember who paid. <laughs> That's so interesting. See, Tim Hortons, there's a good tip from Patrick Enns, president of Capital One Canada. If you really want to save money, go to a coffee shop. It doesn't have to be an expensive five-star uh, restaurant. It can be something that is a lot more low-key. It's just about spending time together. Well, Patrick, thank you so much for joining us today and telling us about the, the results of this survey. I think it's really interesting, ties in well with Valentine's Day that's coming up in just a couple of weeks and gives hope to some young people that there is ways that you can you know, ask somebody out without breaking the bank. Uh, thanks so much for making time for us today. Thank you for having me, Rubina. That's Patrick Enns. He is the president of Capital One Canada. When we come back, there's some unexpected housing data that came out for the month of December. What does this tell us about the real estate market going into 2024? I'm Rubina Ahmed Huck, and this is For What It's Worth. From understanding a global economic crisis to crunching the numbers at the grocery till, you're listening to For What It's Worth with Robina Ahmed Hawk. Valentine's is only a few weeks away, and if you're starting to make plans, it might feel like it's a little bit expensive. That conversation that we just had with Patrick Enns, the Capital One Canada president, uh, was really interesting because we don't really think about some of the fallout of life being so expensive. We talk a lot about not being able to pay your mortgage, not being able to afford things that you might want for your family. But for some, especially those who are single, it might be a deterrent for them moving forward with somebody, moving in with somebody. Because how do you ask somebody out when you're dead broke? But I do want to emphasize, and I mentioned this as well in our conversation, that especially when you're young, you can get away with a lot of cheaper options. It's because everybody's in that same mindset. Um, you know, as an aside, this is just an aside, uh, we have friends that just got engaged. I'm getting close to 50 now. So, you know, they're in a totally different financial situation than me and my husband were when we got engaged. And I got to say, her ring was pretty impressive. And I made the joke that, see, that's what happens when you wait to get married because the person asking you has deeper pockets. Now, I'm not really that superficial of a person, but I think that really does speak to as you get older, you can afford other things in your life. And when you're young, you should, you should really put into perspective what your goals are and not overextend yourself. You know, we talked about soft savings at the beginning of the program where young people want to enjoy life now and not worry so much about the future. That doesn't mean going into deep debt. Yes, I do agree with the idea 
that you can spend money on things that make you happy, that support your mental health, that really improve your quality of life. Why live in a small apartment when you could afford something a little bit nicer, when you could afford to have a place where you can invite your friends over and have a dinner party or have a party? Why would you not do that now if you can afford it? Yes, you'll be taking some money out of the pot that would have gone towards your RSP, but that that is still money that you have. So I'm not really encouraging people to go into debt to find love. I'm definitely not encouraging people to live their life in a way where they think, well, the only way I'm going to afford this is by putting more money on my credit card or taking out another loan or not worrying about my student loans. But there are definitely ways, you know, if you want to ask somebody out this Valentine's Day that you can do it uh, without spending a lot of cash. If you live on your own, you know, obviously the making of the meal at home is going to be a good one. If they are comfortable enough coming into your home, maybe someone you've been out with a few times, that would be a great one. Going to a movie, even though movies are not as cheap as they used to be, but they're still a cheaper option compared to a fancy five-star restaurant. Oftentimes, there's great deals on theater that is local in your community rather than the big theaters in the big cities. That can also be a really wonderful night out. There's bands that play at all different restaurants. Often, it's just the price of the meal, and then you can sit there and listen to music later. So there's lots of options for people that do want to still have a fantastic night out but they don't want to break the bank. I really always encourage people to live within their means and not uh, extend themselves to the point where it stresses themselves out because we know that that then leads to uh, a stress on your mental health, your financial wellness. It's all connected to that. So if you're going into debt to take your sweetie to Hawaii, uh, you're going to definitely feel that when you get back, when you get that credit card bill and you can't afford to pay it. So this Valentine's Day coming up in a couple of weeks, do something that is good for you, good for your heart, good for your pocketbook, and still keeps you in good graces with that person that you have your eye on. I really enjoyed our conversations today, especially on soft saving. I think it's a it's a really interesting way of looking at your money. It's really, um, you know, young people are flipping all the information on the head that I've been giving out for the last 20 years when it comes to personal finances, they want to enjoy now. They don't want to wait till later and they're willing to work longer to afford it. So in, in the old days, if you want to call it that, we wanted to work now and save more now so that we could retire when we were 65. They say they're okay working. They say the, the, the surveys show that this generation, Generation Z, will be the first generation to work well into their 70s and 80s. So they're okay with that. Technology is going to allow them to work longer and remotely for as much as they want. And they don't need to have that commute into work that really does start to feel very tiring, especially as you get older. So they can work later in life. And they can do it from the comfort of their home and still make a salary, still be able to afford their life. And most of them don't have this attitude that they want to retire into, you know, a retirement community and sort of live that way. Many people still want to continue to work, myself included. I've talked about it on the program previously where I don't know whether I want to retire. I think as a writer, as a journalist, I'll always keep my hand in something, you know, keep, you keep going when it comes to, when it comes to work. Of course, I'm going to slow down. I don't want to work five days a week when I'm in my seventies, but if I had a column or if I had a book that I was writing or something in the future, these are the things that I think about. I think I would stay, you know, wake up in the morning, do a couple of things in the morning and have the rest of the day to enjoy myself. And because of technology, I could probably do it from anywhere. I could have a house in Florida. I could have a house in England. I could be anywhere and still be doing the same work 
from that location that I'd be doing right here in my own home. Uh, Before we go, I wanted to talk a little bit about Canadian home sales. Uh, CREA, the Canadian Real Estate Association, uh, gave their new numbers for December and it showed that home sales, it's not prices, home sales jumped 8.7% from November to December. So that means there was that many more homes sold month over month. So again, numbers need to be put into perspective. A lot of critics are saying that this is really uh, a lot of people saying, I just want to get out of this house before the end of the year, especially if you have an investment property. If you're selling it before the end of the year, it counts towards 2023's income rather than 2024's. So it could be a little bit of that pent up, okay, the house has been on the market for a while. And I don't want to keep this into the January, February months, which are the the, the historically low, slowest months when it comes to real estate. Maybe uh, September might be also compared to that. Uh, although real estate agents will tell you it's always busy, but really historically January and February have been quite slow. Um, here in the GTA, it is too cold to go anywhere. I know in Alberta, our friends are suffering through even colder conditions. So you can imagine if you're trying to sell your home, how do you Uh, encourage people to come out and get, you know, come to an open house when it's minus 40 degrees outside and nobody wants to leave the comfort of their uh, blanket and their their comfy couch in, in that kind of weather. But it's interesting that it really does show that going into the new year, we could see some activity in the real estate market. One thing that has happened that is uh, just pure math is that fixed rate mortgages have dropped by about a percentage point. And so that does make it more affordable for Canadians to buy certain homes. And so that if they, if you're going in and the bank is offering you now a percentage point lower than what they were before, you may be more encouraged to go out there and buy a house. So this could be um, a boom that's what Korea is saying for 2024. And I think that it's always, you got to always take it with a grain of salt when the people who stand to gain the most are the ones saying that it's going to be a really stellar year in 2024. 2023 was abysmal. I mean, real estate sales were down. uh, Prices were down. Uh, There's places in Ontario where home prices have fallen by almost 40%. We're talking cottage country out in the Sunshine Coast in British Columbia, same thing. Uh, Really a number of things have happened. One is people are being asked to come back into work at a at a speed that they did not expect during the pandemic we thought okay we're going to be working from home forever not the case. The banks were one of the first to move and say, we want you back in. Um, not five days a week, but definitely three days a week. I know Royal Bank of Canada, uh, RBC is one that's asked their employees to come back because um, after the pandemic was over, really, they had to assess you know, all this real estate that they have. This is not just RBC, any bank, any big corporation. Um, what's the best use of the space? Do we need people in face-to-face? And the answer was yes. We do need people in face to face. I've been doing more in studio stuff, in you know, in person stuff. I gotta say, it invigorates you. You meet people, you get to shake their hand, you get to have those micro conversations that you never will have over Zoom. And we all have to admit that we tune out when we're on Zoom calls, when we're on virtual calls. Uh, it could be Teams or Zoom or whatever it is, whatever your choice is. Um, especially if you've got your camera off you know that people are checking their email or surfing the net or doing something different. But when you're in a boardroom together and you're discussing a project or something that's coming up, you are all engaged. Nobody's going to look at their phone and start surfing because that's rude, right? No one can really do that. So even those little micro things that change really do improve your overall workplace experience. You walk away from there feeling like everybody was tapped in, everyone had ideas, everyone contributed, 
And that makes you feel better about whatever it is that you're working towards. You can work at a bank, you can work at a, you know, in a real estate company, you can be a journalist, you can work as a firefighter, doesn't matter. When people are engaged and everybody's on the same page and everyone's moving forward together, that energy is something that you cannot replicate online. There is definitely a place for remote work and hybrid work. I myself agree when it's cold days like this, probably not the best feeling to have to get up and go into work. So when there's bad weather, when your child is sick, all those things, it gives you more opportunity and flexibility to be remote and stay home. And there's no longer the stigma that stay at home means not working at all. But going into work is really going to um, help you make those connections. So that is why, that's my long way of saying why we're seeing some of those uh, real estate prices come down because those homes that were purchased three, four hours away from work no longer work for those individuals that have to go in three days a week. I want to thank you so much for tuning in today on For What It's Worth, uh, listening to our stories. I hope it helped you a little bit, helped your pocketbook a little bit. We will be back here same time next week, same channel. I'm Rabina Ahmed-Huck and this is For What It's Worth.